This is Rugger Matrix America. Hey, everybody. It is a great day to be back in the saddle after uh, taking a week off from the show because a whole bunch of things were falling on top of me. But this is Alex Goff with RugbyMag.com. And don't forget to check out the brand new RugbyMag.com with the Rugby Mag premiere section as well. Sign up for that. It's really a lot of fun. Some extra things for you. And we are joined by the always intelligent and often abrasive Bruce McLean and the always abrasive and sometimes intelligent Pat Clifton. Bruce, Pat, what's up, guys? Not a whole lot. That sounds... um... Maybe like you switch those. Do, up. do you do you do you feel like offended. I insulted you? A little bit. Well, Maybe. a little bit. A little bit. I think you insulted Pat, but <laughs> I also want to remind everybody that we are on iTunes. So while sometimes many of you sit at work or you sit at your computer and you listen to it, you can actually download it quite quickly on iTunes and listen to it while you are driving to work and driving home from work or driving to practice or coming home from practice uh, or when you're on your run. But if you listen to us on a run, that's uh, that would be very counterproductive. You're going to wind up looking like me and Pat. <laughs> you keep st- stopping just to try to understand what it was we said. Go to the I- uh, Go to the iTunes website. And search for Rugga Matrix, and you'll find it, and uh, you can download it from there. No problem. Also, check out RuggaMatrixAmerica.com, and you can also go look at old shows and uh, all the archive stuff that we've done, and you can download and listen to it, which then you can hold us to all the things we said because you can go back and see what we predicted and see if we were right or wrong. And uh, I'm... I don't know if we were right or wrong on this, but let's start with the Super League. And uh, this weekend, San Francisco Golden Gate played Old Puget Sound Beach. And Boston played Life University. And Bruce, you checked out that Boston Life game. What did you think? What I thought, I actually thought that Life was going to jump out ahead pretty well. And and they did. Life, I believe, based on what I saw, lost focus. And Boston kept their eye on the prize, and they came back. Actually, Boston went ahead. And then and then, and then Life pulled it out at the end of the game, at the very end. I do think Life deserved to win based on the body of work during the season. But I, it was, it was much closer than I had anticipated. I certainly did not anticipate a four-point victory. Now, while James Isaacson was, was quite upset about the uh, – the result and the way his team played, yeah. and and yeah, and, and while he, he should have been, they they were not. They did not play well for a, a very long stretch of time, and Boston did. They, uh, what I will say, and what I did say to him personally, is, at least you know that you can gut it out. At least you know that you have to play an eighty-minute game in order to win, and I think that they can now focus on the final and focus on doing what it takes to win instead of saying, which I think they did is like, Holy crap, we're going to win this game. We're going to the finals and the finals are at our place. Next thing you know, 20 minutes later, they're down. And I think that a lot of times teams do that when they catch a big lead or when a team scores an early try, they think it's going to be easy. I think that's kind of what happened, but fair play to Boston. They showed why they were a semifinal team and fair play to life, 
they showed. It was very hot. Well, we'll see what's going to happen. Golden Gate against life down there in the heat will be a difficult task for both. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that both of the teams, life and Boston, uh, they lost a, a player to the National Sevens team camp, both of them in the same position at center, uh, Paul Emmerich and Roland Suniula. I don't know if either of them necessarily had a problem. I know that uh, uh, Mike Diamantopoulos said that Suniula's replacement, Derek Wawamba, had an outstanding game. So I, you know, maybe maybe that had uh, was a factor or not. But it was what was it? It was it was twenty three to twenty. It was twenty three to twenty two. Twenty three to twenty two with time winding down and Petzl scores in the corner to win the game. So they, I mean, obviously they could have they could have kicked a penalty. They could have dropped a goal. There was, there was another way to do it. But they they were life was certainly in danger of losing that game. But both teams, both teams missed those players. Life, life unquestionably missed Emmerich, and and Boston unquestionably missed Suniula. They they needed that added dimension of of game changing pace, and neither one of them had it. Derek gave it to Boston a little bit. Life was a little bit one paced, and and I think that hurt them a little bit. And I would say that. Uh, Petzl's good. It's a good team. They, they both have good teams. It was hot out. I think they were scared. Not not scared, but I, I think that it was you, – you sometimes get tense, and I think that both teams really thought – Boston was thinking, ah, do I deserve to be in the finals? And then they're down, and then they just said, screw it, let's play, and they started <laughs> playing well. And life – just played because that's what they wanted to do, and they played well. And they're like, holy cow, in the finals! I think a lot of that was mental. I wish that they had both been on song together because then it would have been a really good game. Well, they had another game on the West Coast, and uh, Old Puget Sound went down to San Francisco Golden Gate. I don't think anybody really was surprised that uh, it it ended with Golden Gate winning by a pretty fair margin. Uh, 55-22. It was uh, what, 40 to 10 with time, you know, sort of two thirds of the way through the game. Uh, Paul Keeler said it was a lot closer game than the score looked, which is very nice of him. And I, I think it probably was in certain aspects. But the the thing about the big difference, I guess, is oh, Puget Sound is a is a very good rugby team, and Golden Gate is absolutely deadly and has not just one or two or three game breakers; they have about 12 of them. They really are uh, uh, an excellent team, and we've been in print anyway. And, and Bruce, you you kind of teased me about this a little bit earlier today. But in print, we've been talking about Golden Gate having a problem with the scrum, and and I guess in 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 the end, you're right. It, their scrum isn't bad. It's just it's possibly one of the more glaring issues they have. Whether it means it's not quite as good as everything else. Uh, but their scum, scrum's not necessarily all that bad. But they did fix it up, and uh, Mone Laulaupe'alu had an excellent game at tight head prop. Used to be a hooker, and they moved him to tight head prop and just told him to hold the scrum up, and I think he did a good job there. And it was also Samu Manoa's last home game for Golden Gate before he goes takes a contract at Northampton Saints, and I think that was um, I think that was, I think that mattered. I think that was an emotional time for the the team. I think it I think it was something they they wanted to send him off with a good game, and he had a great game. 
I mean, when you really get down to it, Golden Gate is – they are top to bottom an excellent team, and they want to win. So I, I didn't see any way that – I really didn't see any way that Puget Sound was going to beat them, and, and Pat and I had discussed that. And I, I just – I'm not – I'm not – they're a very good team, and, and I think that this week going forward – they're fortunate that Millie Poole didn't get selected into the seventh side while Paul Emmerich did. And and at the end of the day, that could be the that could be the difference between the two teams. That 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 bit of extra could be the difference. But I think that there's there's gonna be a lot a lot going into this game. It's in Atlanta and I do think that's that's going to be a um, – I do think that's going to be a home field advantage for life. I, I think that that home field is worth some points, and I think that um, the heat is going to be worth a few points too. It's just going to be a matter of can life control the tempo of the game? And, and that's, that's, the, that's the biggest thing you got to do in order to beat Golden Gate, H- having done it. You can't knock the ball on and give Mose Timoteo a chance to to play off of a um, to play off of a knock on. They they practice it. They practice it. They practice it. The other thing is, a referee gives a long arm penalty or a short arm penalty. Mose Timoteo he takes a tap from anywhere. He doesn't necessarily run to the ref and take it from behind the mark. He just takes a tap from anywhere and goes. And a lot of times they just let him go. So you have to absolutely. You knock the ball and you got to kill the ball and you got to make sure that you play from the scrum. If something happens with it's a penalty, you got to make sure that ball is not given to him to go from the mark before you're back ten, and you got to make sure that he goes from the mark. There's a yeah, you, you got to kick to it. You got to be careful yeah. about that, right? But but you got to be careful you don't get pinged for. For doing something uh, that might get you a, a yellow card, but yeah, you can't you can't just let it lie there and have him pounce on it. Well, there's a difference between there's a difference between getting called for a penalty and 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 not dropping ten and trying to throw the ball away. I'm saying that when you get called for a penalty, you make sure you get ten and you find him. You make sure somebody finds him, and they got to make sure, hey, this guy's not going to beat me. Then. It's lethal when you kick down – you can't kick down their throat and not have that ball bounce. It has to go – the ball has to bounce if you're going to kick the Golden Gate. Basically, the old adage, kick to land, not to hand. If you kick to hand, you could be in deep trouble. So those things and, – and then the other thing is Golden Gate is willing to play a quick strike game where they have, a, where they have a, um, an offload option almost every single time. So what you need to do in, in that scenario is when you make your tackle, you get in, you make your tackle, and you got to have two guys cut off the passing lane straight away. you got to cut off the passing lane on either edge because they don't only just offload around the head. They can do a backdoor offload, meaning that the one where you come and it's just kind of flicked out of your hand on the side. So you got to cut off both passing lanes. In the event you catch them behind the game line, they generally don't pet too many people into the ruck. Then you gotta you gotta really attack that ruck and counter ruck it hard. You know, in that- the event that they get you in front of the game line or at the game line, you have to tackle and fan. 
Because if you put too many people in, they're going to kill you out wide. Yeah. It, it, it's a very difficult team to beat. You were going to ask a question? Well, no, the, the, it just reminds me of last year in the semifinal. The life went to, to, to play Golden Gate in the semifinal, and they had it in their mind. They said, if we catch them behind the game line eight times, we will win the game. And they, cat, they caught them behind the game line something like 22 times, and they lost. Because Golden Gate is, is the best team in the league in rescuing bad ball and turning it into a positive again, because they have so many quick players and it's not just, they're not just making it up. Millie Pulu is having a great season, a really tremendous season at, at center. Volney Rouse has really turned into a, a good fly half and he's, he's kicking for his, his tactical kicking is much better than it was. And, it, and, and you know, it was impressive when I watched it. And the other thing is you look at that back row and, and, uh, Lapravat, Samuel Manoa at eight, and then they've got Bruce Thomas, who's an Englishman who they brought in uh, this season, who has been excellent at blindside flank. Just uh, you know, it's just sort of one of those ball hawk kind of guys. And they they are just I, I don't I do not see Golden Gate win, losing this this final. Frankly, well, personally, Thomas see, Thomas was a, Thomas was the second row in the Premiership for the Wasps, so he knows how to play. Uh, he knows how to play well. Golden Gate is is definitely the best team in the league. There is no doubt about it. They were the best team in the league last year too. I'm not I'm not going to sit there and, and act like um, we did beat them and we beat them on their turf. But they they were the best team in the league. There's no question about that. So when but when you look at it, that even though someone is the best team in the league doesn't mean you can't beat them. You just have to play. You have to be very confident. You have to believe in yourself as a player. You have to believe in your teammates as players. And you have to buy into your game plan. And you have to execute your game plan. And you have to do it for 80 minutes. That's the difference. The difficulty is always most guys will believe in themselves. The difficulty is... Are you going to believe in your teammates? When he tells you to push, are you going to push or are you going to leave space on that outside? Because the whole, the whole question of beating Golden Gate is you have to absolutely 100% trust each other to make a play when that opportunity is there to make it. You don't get a lot of opportunities, but when you get that opportunity to make a play, you've got to trust that the guy is going to do it. And you have to be very accurate in the contact area, probably even putting in one or two extra resources to make it happen, only because if they turn you over, it could be deadly. That's how come we always put in an extra guy or two last year when we played them. It, it wasn't because we want to hit, hit a rock and always have four or five guys in it. We did it so that if we – so that we never turn the ball over. I'd rather go forward four or five yards at a clip than go forward 10 yards, 2 yards, 4 yards, 3 yards, turnover, they go 90. I'm not into that. That Then that happened to us. You know, we knocked the ball on, waved our hands like, what the heck? Mose Timoteo, they were 90 yards down the field before we knew it. It was unbelievable. Right. I'm t- I mean, I'm telling you, you cannot let that happen. That player is, is he is tremendous. And Volney Ross has always been a good fly half. I know that he's had his, I know that he's had some moments where people have um, have have shown lack of faith in him, or you know, and and maybe he's done a couple of things that that aren't necessarily um, say mainstream. But I will say 
that he has the trust of the other players. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. If the fly half trusts his guys and the guys trust their fly half and the scrum half trusts his guys and the guys trust their scrum half and the eight trusts his guys and the, and the guys trust the eight, that's the key to winning. So they trust each other. And and that's and, and whether or not that translates into international rugby, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just saying that this is going to be a very difficult game, and the key to the key to life winning. Can they play the game through multiple phases without being lateral? And what I mean by that is, can they make game line and penetrate through multiple phases? You can't just play across the side and go ten phases going nowhere. They need to do that. Secondly. Can life knock them down with one-off tackles? They didn't do it to Boston. If they play against Golden Gate like they played against Boston and missing their first-up tackles, they're in deep trouble. If they make those tackles, they'll be okay, and it'll be a good game. Pat, you've seen life in person? I certainly have. Uh, And that was also without Emmerich, but I saw him against uh, the dilapidated – pretty much Division Two New York Athletic Club, so I don't know how much, how well, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, life is good, and they play the territorial game very well. Um, when I saw them, they had Steve Petzl out at wing, and uh, somebody on the sideline said, uh, Steve Petzl's the best hooker in the Super League, and they got him playing wing. Well, I don't know that he's the best hooker in the Super League, but I don't know that he's a wing either, but he, you know, when he, when he was in that game, he played great there. I don't know what their lineup's going to be like. It's been a long time since I've seen him. Um, I'm sure they've made a lot of changes since then. But um, they certainly have a chance when you've got as much experience on the field as they have. And let's not forget James Isaacson every once in a while will come out on that field with the cleats on, and he's a pretty good, brutal guy that you don't want to face, um, especially if he's playing in that game. I don't know that he's going to. I'm not insinuating that he will, but I, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. Um, if life plays you know, the way that they can clinically, territorially, um, and, and doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes for SFGG to – to capitalize on, then they've, they've certainly got a chance. And, you know, San Francisco Golden Gate, for as good as they are, is a team that can make a whole heck of a lot of, of mistakes. So if life can capitalize on some of those to nullify potential ones that they make, you know, I think this could be a really good game. I, I would have to pick Golden Gate. Um, if Emmerich was on the field, it would be the other way around. He makes that big of a difference, especially in the domestic game in my mind. But, uh, yeah, I would probably pick Golden Gate if I had to here. Well, uh, the – we don't know when the kickoff is going to be, probably about 2 p.m. Eastern. But if you go to runningeagles.com, you will be able to see it on webcast. So we encourage you to go see that game. Uh, I think that's the only way you're going to see it unless you get down to Marietta, Georgia, is to see it on the runningeagles.com webcast. And we will have links to that on rugbymag.com as well. And I encourage people, if you have a chance and you, ha- you have the opportunity to watch that, uh, do watch that game because it will be a great game. And uh, I think I think we've got a uh, a qualified life, a qualified Golden Gate prediction, and uh, and a pretty much all the way Golden Gate prediction on that game. And you know what? Coming up this week weekend, we also have a, a, a couple of other championship games coming up. We had championship games this past weekend, and we had semifinal games going into championship games. And in the College Premier Division. Nobody's surprised that we see Cal playing BYU, but we saw some uh, in, some interesting, I guess, uh, semifinal games. And uh, Bruce, on this uh, this BYU Arkansas State game, 
you know, you had you said you were talking to me about uh, the refereeing. I don't know if you wanted to talk about that. And I mean, I, I know it was a close game for a while, and then it got blown up, blown a little bit away on on BYU side late, but it was pretty competitive. Yeah, I thought there was some. Co- I'm going to get into referee stuff in, in a in a later show because yeah. I need to talk to a few people about the. Um, I need to talk to a few people about the 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 whole refereeing process. I I am the coach on the national evaluation committee. That they have a national evaluation committee of of evaluators who actually evaluate referees. I am the one guy who represents the coaches in America. So I need to talk to some people about what they think is how, how it's going on. I will say that there were some momentum calls that I thought were poor calls that hurt Arkansas State. There were a couple that hurt BYU as well. And but a lot of it all happened in the red zone. And I just and I and I and I thought that it affected the game. I don't think that BYU would have lost the game. So that's not that's not a uh so qualify it with that. I'm just saying that I didn't think that the refereeing in that game and, and Tim has done good games. I didn't think that Tim had his best game that day. And, and I think the Tim, Tim Luscombe that being, and, and I think that, um, I guess that I'll discuss that and some of the issues with all that later on. I, but I, I will say that it, it is, it is unacceptable to hit guys around the neck. It's unacceptable to have no rap tackles it's unacceptable to late hit, and I mean it. When it becomes a pattern that's happening, and you're not seeing things, I mean that that you you have to wrap in the tackle, and and there was too many players that didn't do it. You you have to hit below the neck or the shoulder line. It's too many times that didn't happen, and and I just think that those types of things, like you know. That type of stuff, to me, and and I know that Brian Vizard said that, you know, that um, Evans had a chance to didn't have any chance to get out of the way of that guy who got knocked 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 on it. That's Sean, not true. Sean Davies. Oh, Davies. Sorry, Davies. I'm thinking. I was thinking Evans rolling them. I was actually thinking of a guy named Steve Evans, who's <laughs> an Australian scrum half who plays a lot like uh, like Davies, but um. You no, know, he did have a chance to get out. He was actually underneath and threw him and whacked him with his hand, and the guy fell on his head. That, you know, I'm not saying it was malicious, and I'm not saying anything was pure, unadulterated, dirty play, but I'm saying that they're getting a pass to do things that are unacceptable in 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 rugby. I'm what? not saying that any. I'm just saying that some of the things that happened should have been called. And should have been dealt with. Once you allow certain things to go on, like you have a you have a like a baseline of 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 a certain level of um, behavior or a certain type of tackle you're allowing, it can it can get really uh, it can get pretty bad in a game where you you say it's okay. You know, if you start saying it's okay that this kind of tackle is accepted, then you know you you can you can end up having a game really degenerate into something you don't want. And I, and I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if that game was getting, I mean, it was physical and there weren't, you know, nobody was fighting anybody, but it was, it was a very physical game and it. And at times it looked like it was going over the line. Well, 
I don't think it went over the line. I, and I'm not going to say that. Like there was a there was a play when BYU knocked on, and a guy went and picked it and played it. It became a scrum to Arkansas State. It was about 15 yards from goal on the right hand side. That's a penalty. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. a penalty. So right. that changes the game. There was a play where Arkansas State had two scrums, and Davies climbed on top of the eight and didn't let him play. He was off sides. Uncalled. Those small little – and this isn't to say that Arkansas State didn't self-destruct. This isn't to say that Arkansas State couldn't win a line out. This isn't to say that they didn't throw loose passes. I'm not saying that BYU was going to lose because of the refereeing. I'm saying that the refereeing contributed to the fact that BYU was two scores ahead at a critical time. I think the game could have been better had it been refereed up to the standard that I know Tim Luscombe is able to referee. That's what I'm saying. And, you know, and I'll get into other refereeing issues as we, as we go further within the next after the, after the national finals. But that's something that I saw. Now, what did I see? I saw Arkansas State tackled really well. I saw an unbelievably good game of rugby. Um, and, and like I said, those events of those high tackle events and things like there was only, a, there were two or three of them early on. And then there was, then there was the late hit. Then the, uh, then there was the so, the early hit. The guy was in the air, smacked him in the air. And then right after that, the guy took the guy out from the side on Arkansas state. Um, it was Dylan Luba who did it, took the guy out from the side on the sideline at about the eight or 10 yard line. These are little plays where like. You, you commit a professional foul, and it, and it essentially goes, for lack of a better word, unpenalized in critical spots. And I, and I think that that – I think that BYU was fortunate enough to be wearing their jerseys because I think that if those jerseys were flip-flopped and Arkansas State showed up in the BYU jersey and BYU showed up in the Arkansas State jersey and they didn't know who was who, I think that a lot of those calls would have been made. That's all I'm saying. Right, a lot of times referees don't want to referee the upset. I think this was one of them. They had a, a, another game go on, and that was uh, Cal versus Utah. And there the the referee featured heavily in an interesting way because Chris Henshaw called a series of penalties on Cal early on, a lot of offside penalties. He, uh, he issued a yellow card on a, on a pretty – blatant and uh, dumb late hit by Danny Barrett that he didn't need to do. Uh, but it was, it was more that he it – was, it was on the scrum engagement it, and it was on the offside that he, he really put the hammer down and, and was not afraid to call a lot of penalties against one team and probably draw the ire of the fans and the coaches, whatever, of that team simply because he wanted it a certain way. And once that was taken care of, and Cal, the players are smart enough to finally say, all right, he's calling this. He's calling this offside every time. Let's just take one step back and see what we can do. And, of course, they won the game anyway because Cal was a superior team. It was 8-7 to seven early on. Uh, eight to nothing, Cal, and then uh, Utah produced a very nice try. Um, and and if you're if you're a Utah fan, you're looking at it saying, okay, we can play with these guys. And then you, Cal comes right back and scores a try in the corner. And then 
they're a man down. Barrett gets sin binned. They're a man down, and they score another try. Just an awesome broken uh, broken field counterattacking backs try uh, Dustin Munn and Blaine Scully put together. And at that point, you realize who's the better team. And and Cal was clearly superior team. And, and, and I think that Utah is fine. But, uh, the, the one thing that, that I thought was interesting, and, and tell me I'm wrong if you think, but the, the, the glaring difference for me between the winners and the losers in Premier Division was the quality of the passing from the scrum half. And Connor Ring, not a spectacular scrum half by uh, any means, good player, very good player, had a very smooth, accurate, flat, hard pass. Don Patti, delightful player. Absolutely love him. He's great. Great kid. Wonderful player. His pass is not consistent enough. Sometimes it's loopy. Sometimes it's behind the player. It's just not as consistent, especially off the left hand. Same thing in the BYU game. Sean Davis, tremendous scrum half. His, his passing is completely predictable. And uh, the scrum half for... Uh, Arkansas State, who remind me, Pat, what is his name? It's Abi Yoshiyasu. Uh, he he passes weird. He passes weird because he's he's clearly to me trying to p- put a spin on the ball. And it seems when when you're passing, the spin comes naturally with the way that you flick your wrist and the way you, that you send the ball out. But he looks like he was actively spinning the ball when he was passing, and because of that, it took just a little bit extra time to get out and i i'm a big fan of that uh, of a good scrum half pass if you have a quick one that comes out and is predictable having played scrum half and played it very poorly i can tell you it's how important it is to do it well to get that pass out and i and i think that the that was a glaring difference between uh in the winners and losers in both games i i um i I think that was a difference i i think that the winners and losers in both games came with the uh, – to me, was the contact area. I, I think that that I, – I understand where the two scrum halves were, were played a little bit better than the other scrum half, but a lot of times it's easier to play better at scrum half when your contact area is going well. Also, in the BYU scrum, um, Davies didn't have to deal with a whole lot of, of issues because Ryan Roundy was taking the ball up consistently – and and making yards, and I and it was funny because I, I had never seen Ryan Roundy play outside of I saw him in Vegas couple, but but I I'd never really seen him play in a money game where it was a big deal and he was going to be the man. And I'm sitting, I'm going like, all right, yeah, he's good, yeah, he's good off the base, he knows what he's doing, he you know he trucked it up on the opening, did a couple things, but like, I expected him to be fair. And then he scored that try at the end of the game where he went the distance, and I was like, yeah, this guy can move. This oh, yeah, can, okay. That, he can that's absolutely why they're talking about him. Yeah. seriously play. That, I think that, the, that at the end of the day, the BYU team dominated the contact area as, it, as the game wore on, and the, although Arkansas State did well in the contact area, they weren't up to the BYU level. And Cal just annihilated Utah in the contact area. I mean, they just they annihilated them. They it was it it was a different level of play in the contact area, and I think that that's and in doing that, 
Cal also plays, and Utah, Utah, BYU plays 100 miles an hour off the base. That's, we'll get into that later, but um, we'll get into that when we do the predictions. But And I'll just do my predictions. Yeah, conviction I think that now. Cal is a better team. I think Cal is going to win the game. While I think that Cal is going to win the game, I do think that BYU's explosiveness is going to give them a lot of trouble. I think that Davies really controls the game much in the way that Timoteo does, and BYU does have those athletes in in Whipple and in Whippy and um and and Roundy and and I I just I think that there's going to be and Dylan Lube actually plays the game very quickly as well. That's going to be the thing. Can Cal control the tempo of the game? I'm not saying that Cal has to slow the game down. I'm saying that Cal has to control the tempo of the game. They have to play the game at a tempo that they're comfortable with. And they can do that at several periods. You can do it from lineouts. You can do it from scrums. You can do it from 22s. You can do it from kickoffs or restarts either way, penalties and free kicks. All the stoppages allow you to control the tempo. That They do practice controlling the tempo of the game. And under, you'll also see the Cal will have a flood in the zone. Is Utah going to be – is BYU – I keep on calling them Utah. Is BYU <laughs> going to be able to deal with that flood going through one zone? Because if they don't deal with that flood going through the zone – they're going to get penetrated very quickly right yeah. in behind the breakdown. So, so, but if they try to deal with that, they're going to get worked out wide. Yeah. Is the Cal's man, lethal out wide? Oh, boy. You know, that, that center that center combination they have and the wings they have, it's just uh, the, they're amazing. So you do have to keep them honest. And, yeah, you're right. It is Whippy, not Whipple. Whipple is the guy who's squeezing the Charmin. Um, Pat, BYU or Cal? Uh, <laughs> I've been saying BYU is better than Cal all year, um, and I'm going to stick with it because I don't have enough reason to say that that has changed. I think BYU is on a warpath this year, not that Cal's not, but I think BYU is extremely determined. Um, and on top of that, I think they've got the athletes and the seasoned athletes. They didn't lose Keegan Obrecht last year. They didn't lose Eric Fry last year. All the guys that are the big-time playmakers are back. Viliami Vermahi's back. Roundy's back. Davies is back. Lula's back. They add in Whippy, who I think Whippy is going to be the best player in college rugby very soon. Um, he's not this year, I wouldn't say, but he will be by the time he's done at BYU. I think they've got the talent, and I think that they've got the determination, and I think that they are just, uh, you know, when you average a basketball score per game, 80-some-odd points a game, um, I think that shows a lot. And, and Cal is very good, too. And uh, I could just be kind of taking a shot in the dark here, but I, I really do like BYU, and uh, I, I like the size that they have against Cal. Uh, maybe an uneducated guess here, but I, I think I think BYU is a better team this year. And then Ryan Rowdy is, you know, the best player in college rugby this year, and I don't think it's even close. We have had uh, BYU at number one most of the season now, and we are getting into a situation where I was looking at the playoffs and, and looking for a reason, really, to switch it. Give me a reason. And after Cal played life the way they did, and it was it was actually a fairly competitive game, and after BYU actually took apart a very good Navy team, it was really hard to say that. I'm inclined to flip them now. 
I'm actually inclined to say that that Cal is is a better team. And I and and I would say, okay, Roundy is the best uh, player in college rugby now, quite probably. Tom Rook is the best open side flanker I've seen all season. Guy is just amazing, and he they have got they have got guys all the way through there. Uh, and and I would say that BYU matches up as a unit. They have a better second row than Cal. I'm not Mark, sure. I, I'm not sure I could say that about any other combination, possibly halfback, but uh, it would be very, very difficult. Uh, so uh, reservations because it is home field advantage. Remember, it's in Utah, but I think I'm going to go with Cal. Arkansas State is considerably better than Utah. They would beat Utah five out of five times. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Now, th- that's not the only. Uh, hey, college. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. What's the line on the game? Oh, is there a line or is it a pick? Is pick'em? there a line? Oh, it's a pick'em. It's, uh, a, it's pick'em. definitely it's a pick'em. pick'em. You give, but it's in Utah. Oh, it's in no. Rio Tinto Stadium. I, 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 I would say, uh, um, I, I would say uh, BYU by one and a half. What do you say, Pat? BYU by one and a half. Fair enough line. Well, I'd say pick them, so that's close enough to a pick them. I'd say pick them right. I got pretty, both. I mean, it's a lame, yeah, it's a lame line, isn't it? Take both of you. I'll bet you a beer, Alex, that that I got Cal, and because I'll bank on the back row of Cal. Although Ryan Roundy is terrific, I will bank on 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 the Derek Aspen didn't play against Utah. No, uh, yeah, he was on the bench, so you know how confident they were in that game. Um, because he's the best of them all. And, and then Law played in the second row. You, when you have Law, Barrett, when you have Law, Barrett, Aspen, and, and Rook on that field, it's going to be difficult for BYU. And then, Bar- and then the other Barrett in, in, the, uh, in the front row. So, who played great. Who played great on Saturday, by the way. Neil Barrett was awesome at hooker. And then, of course, they got Seamus Kelly. I can't, I can't go through a show without mentioning Seamus Kelly. And, but let's, that being said, Alex, I got a beer. I'm taking Cal. Um... Pat, I got a beer. I'm taking Cal. I'll take your pick and I'll take your one and a half, Alex. Got it? Okay. Fair? Yeah, that's Good? Fine. That's fine. All right. That's now it. I'm really wishing I would have gone the other way saying that I needed some points. You can ha- You know that's, what, Pat? You can have a one and a half. I don't, I, I don't need okay. the beer that badly. So. Uh, we, we, had a, we had another championship, uh, two championships going on this past weekend. Pat, you were there for the Division One championships. And we uh, obviously we knew there was going to be a changing of the guard in the men's competition because all those top Division One teams moved up to the the Premier Division. But we also had you know kind of fun talking about who was going to be uh, left standing, and it was that was an interesting thing. And then on the women's side, uh, uh, it's been Penn State two years running, and it's been Penn State versus Stanford for something like uh, I always say since two thousand five. It's been those two playing each other. And this time Stanford didn't make the final. And not only that, the team that knocked them out uh, didn't make the final. And it was Penn State versus Army. So tell us a little bit about the women's final first. And uh, what did you think of that game? Well, that final, and, um, you know, I told you this and I tweeted it. And maybe I was just jumping the gun saying it because I was there. But I still haven't changed my mind. And it's a day later. I'm I'm a little bit sober off the high of that game. But... That was the most exciting first half I've seen in any division of rugby, period. And I'm a guy that uh, you could call a chauvinist saying that I don't particularly like watching a whole lot of women's athletics. Um, I don't get a, a chance to watch elite women's rugby very much at all in my area, but that game was phenomenal. Phenomenal athletes, you could tell on both sides of the field. 
um, and just scoring left and right, great individual efforts and team efforts left and right. That the first half was unbelievable, and the second half helped as well. That was just a phenomenal game. You know, Penn State has some great big bruisers like Christian Fail is a very good player. Sadie Anderson obviously is very very good. Um, you know, Lisa Hanneman is is, is fantastic. Um, Poole, the, uh, the the prop for them is, was very good. Um, but Army's combination of Jeff Sexauer and Annie Lee uh, was just too much, and it was it was too much. In that first half, they scored 33 points. In the first half, they didn't have to score in the second half to hold it. Um, and, and Jess Sexauer impressed me immensely on both games. She made everything happen. Annie Lee scored five tries in that final, but three of them were set up by Jess Sexauer, and, uh, and Annie Lee had the speed to finish them off. And a lot of people wouldn't have the speed to finish them off, but I, I couldn't walk away more impressed than I am. I'm, I'm a fan now of uh, – when it comes to the uh, elite-level Division One women's rugby, you can consider me a fan, and I don't mind covering those games any day of the week. And I, I'm not so sure I could have said the same thing jumping on the plane on the way out there. Well, good but, for you. Uh, I, th- I think it's great because the good games are very good. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of some of the – I've known Lisa Henneman since she was 15. She, she, she played up here in Washington, uh, you know, helping beat – the team that I was coaching on a regular basis, and her little sister is very good too, by the way, Amanda. Uh, I, you know, I've known, I've covered Sadie Anderson for a long time because uh, uh, she was also a homeschooled kid in high school in Colorado Springs, so I paid attention to that. There are some excellent athletes. Sex Hour is a tremendous athlete because she she's one of those players that no matter how she's hit. She's able to control the ball and control her fall and control exactly what happens. She just seems to be – her core is probably just stronger than everybody else's. But I just want to throw in a criticism of USA Rugby here, and it's not a criticism of anyone who is in USA Rugby now. It's a criticism of how USA Rugby has operated for the past 20 or so years. Annie Lee scored 33 points in a final. She scored five tries and four conversions. Is that a record? Is that a record in a women's final? Is that a record for the most tries scored? Is that a record for the most points scored by someone who's scoring all the points on her team? We have no idea. And we have no idea because nobody ever kept records. And everything we've tried to – and – Credit to Todd Bell in the College Premier Division. We've kept records. We know who scored every single point in the College Premier Division this year. We know who holds the records. We know who holds all the different uh, marks, benchmarks set this year, and that's wonderful. But it's still so frustrating to me that Annie Lee had what you could probably say was the greatest scoring performance in a women's final, except we don't know that for sure, and that's a shame. And, and kudos to Matt Trenery as well because that, that... – that, that CMS system that they use uh, for the California division was, was largely him. I do want to get a couple of shout outs to a couple of people before I throw this away. Once we get, you know, before we get away from the women, um, a player that maybe you don't hear as much about for Penn state, who I was very impressed with is Olivia Lindsay. She played outside center for them both days. This girl can run and she can run every bit as good as Lisa Henneman. And uh, I'm not so sure that she's, quite as shifty as, as Sadie Anderson, but I was very impressed with her. And I was kind of given a, a heads up by Jackie and, and you or what names to look out for. And I don't know that I heard uh, hers from you guys, but I was nope. very impressed with her. And the Army the Army pack, and, and just Army in general, they are not a big group of girls. Their number eight, Kayla Orvik, 
you could slide on the wing for half these teams. You know, Lauren Barber from Penn State has more meat on her bones than Kayla Orvick does, and Kayla Orvick was playing number eight for Army. And the way their goal line defense stood up on both days to both offenses, and especially Penn State's, when you got Christian Fail, who could have been playing on the men's games, was absolutely heroic. And the way Jess Sexauer stuck her nose in there and bloodied her nose, willing to tackle a girl the Fail's size or pool size, was fantastic. And that that really on top of uh, the great offensive performances by Sex Hour and, and by Lee, the the, the defensive of Army and their contention at the at the breakdown was phenomenal and really fun to watch. Well, if if you're uh, worried about the security of this country and you see some of these, uh, look at this. These are future officers in the United States Army, and uh, there there's some pretty impressive individuals on that team, and good for them. Good for Will Riddle, and uh, a shout out to a friend of mine, Evan Wallen, who uh, was coach of the West Point team for a couple of years and did a very very good job in in elevating them to the to past club status to be one of the better teams in the country, and now now they're the best team in the country. All right, well we had a we had a a men's final as well, and the one team that finished second in their territory ends up being the team that wins the whole thing. That's right. We have to, you know, as much as we bash USA Rugby um, and their committees for decisions they make, we've got to give kudos to them here. Um, the, uh, the I think it's the Collegiate Strategic Committee is what it was named back then. Um, now it would be the College Management Council. It was a different group of people, but they decided to give – there were 15 conferences in Division One. They decided to give the one at-large bid to the uh, second-place team out of the Midwest East. Um, it looked like a smart decision at the beginning of the year, and it proves to be a smart decision as that one at-large team is the team that is our national champion. Um, and Davenport, um, you know, it's funny because just as soon as, you know, Lee gets done with her performance and uh, and I get done talking to her, I'm walking across the field. J.P. Eloff is uh, is warming up, kicking, uh, getting ready for for the men's final, and I say, can you uh, can you catch her 33 points? And he didn't, but he came close. He got 25. Um, <laughs> and that kid's a phenomenal player. And and, and several times throughout the year, I kind of hinted that I thought Nick Viviani was the best player in Division One. And Nick did not have a good weekend. Um, he did not have a great game, but he the, the talent around him kind of uh, helped dictate that. Nick's still a fantastic, fantastic player. But if you're you're telling me I got to pick a fly half in a fantasy draft, I'm probably going to go with J.P. Eloff number one. This kid, this kid was fantastic. His boot was a little off in the final. He kicked four balls into touch um, uh, from in front of the 22. That shouldn't have happened. Um, but they were extremely close. You could add them all up, and you wouldn't add up to six inches as far off uh, of the paint they were. And he was phenomenal all all weekend long. And uh, while he was the one that scored all the points uh, for Davenport, not all the points, he, he didn't pull quite a lead, but he scored most of the points on both days. Um, he scored at least 20 points in the, in the semifinal for Davenport over uh, Harvard. But he, Davenport's entire cast and crew was very, very good. Their back three was all very good. Um, Ryan Hargraves, their open side flanker is, and this is a guy that their coach Kruger von Biljohn had been talking to me about all year, about how good he is, how good he is, and he says he's the best open side flanker in college rugby. I get there, I'm excited to watch him, and I wasn't let down one bit. This kid has the highest motor <laughs> I've seen uh, that I can recall seeing in a while. I mean, this kid does not stop. He's an absolute workhorse. Um, he got a, he got on the referee's uh, radar a little bit early on, but what good open side flanker doesn't test the boundaries to see what he can get away with the rest of the game? He never got carded. Um, he learned uh, he learned what his boundaries were, and he's just a phenomenal player. And he really is the one that gashed UCSB in the second half. UCSB was up 19-17 going into the second half. 
Ryan Hargraves made some plays in that second half off of restarts and, and whatnot that really set up some scores and, and that really um, took the heart out of the Gauchos. And, and he's a fantastic player. And, and I talked, I got a chance to talk to a lot of people from Davenport. And uh, this is only a two-year program. They just started two years ago. They are varsity. But this lineup, and I know that the last name of the coach is Von Biljan. I know that the last name of the, their best player is Elof, and those are obviously both South Africans. There are only two foreign players on the Davenport team. And for those out there who whine and cry about importing great players, um, Davenport is, is a team to look at and say, listen, this is what happens when you can get American kids practicing five days a week. Their, their scholarships aren't – They it's like an average of 3500 bucks a person, and uh, that is uh, at a private school. So that doesn't add up to a whole lot. But the fact that they are able to practice five days a week – um, this is what you can have, and these are kids that haven't been playing rugby for for a whole long uh, a long period of time, and they look like they've been playing since they were six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. A lot of them, very well drilled, not just good athletes, but good rugby players. They are, you know, you look, you can easily go, you go on uh, dupanthers.com, and you can you can look at the roster, and you find out where these players are, are from. And first of all, uh, JP Eloff, well, his his, his brother. Phil Eloff has been uh, a United States resident for a very long time, played for the Eagles, was one of the all-time great Eagles, in fact. So, you know, I, th- I think he's an honorary American to start with there. But you look at – you go down the roster, and the kids are – Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, Michigan, Ohio, Michigan, Michigan, North Carolina, uh, South Africa, Michigan, Michigan, Wisconsin, Michigan. They're almost all from Michigan and a bunch of others from other Midwest states. And all the, and, and most of them are in their second year. But what happened was they've got um, – if you, if you follow high school and under-19 rugby, you know where the top teams are. And you know that Xavier won last year, and Jesuit's great, and Gonzaga's great, and you know that Highland's great, and, uh, and Colorado Springs is, and United and, and, a, and a few other teams, uh, Cathedral are good. But you don't realize that there are huge leagues that really don't pay much attention to nationals that are producing hundreds of good, decent rugby players. And, and Michigan has a ton of them. And Indiana has a ton of them. Now, all these kids come out and they say, well, where am I going to go? And then do you find out that Davenport University has a varsity team? This, this is awesome. And they just they, – they go and they, they train. And you're right. And this is something that people have been saying um, through all kinds of levels of rugby, including like the sevens team, national sevens team. Uh, if you can take a team, you can take any group of players and start training them every day then and, and give them the support that a varsity or a professional team has, you're going to get better. You're going to pass everyone else. And the the thing, the, one of the reasons Cal has been so great for so long, isn't that they get the best players. They can't get the best players. You look at the where they get the players from. They almost most of them that they get are from California. I don't think all the best players from, are from California. Is that they go into that program and that co- program takes very, very, very good players and makes them excellent. And and <laughs> they did. And Davenport is a great model for a lot of people because of how they started. It wasn't a rugby guy. It wasn't, an, you know, the AD is not a former rugby guy who finally got to, you know, convince some people that his passion is what they needed to have on campus. Look for their story on our premier side. We've got video of their AD and the guy who started the program. So look for that on the website. But this 
topic also got stiff-armed a while ago when we I tried to talk about it a little bit, but I will talk a little bit about it here, about the crossover athlete and that you can recruit it even if you're not the uh, USA Head 7s coach. D'Amica's Beach is a 6'3", 275-pound. They've got him listed as a prop on the website, but he played second row all weekend. This kid is a physical specimen. He tested college football for a little bit, played a little bit in the area, didn't play high school rugby, was introduced to rugby by another guy who played at Davenport who he was friends with. They bring him in, and now he's a rugby player. He uh, doesn't have a whole lot of polish or shine on him, but he's built like an eagle. And if he gets the polish and shine on him, which he will if he's still in the program for two or three more years at Davenport with their good coaching, that he, you know, they have a chance to turn out an eagle there. And a lot of colleges, I think, need to start taking uh, advantage of that, especially if you have some of the advantages of being able to slip somebody in for in-state tuition or, 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 or things like that. Don't just... Don't just go after the fifth best fly half in high school because uh, you know BYU, Arkansas State, Cal, and somebody else took the top four. Look at some of these football crossover kids who might be interested because Demicus Beach is a fine example of what you can get. And he was anybody who was there this weekend remembers Demicus Beach not just because he was size or because of the size, but because he played with the size and he played well. And that's the kind of athlete you can get if you look at other avenues. It's a great mix. Um. You know, and and Bruce, when you when you work with your high school guys, how how much does rugby factor into the decision they make? Well, we try to have it, we, Sorry, we try to have it factor greatly. I actually did a lot of work last year on. I try. There's a document on on USA Rugby that, that you know, unfortunately, that they didn't work as hard as I did with it. Is that they. I put together a thing of college opportunities for high school students. And basically I emailed every single coach that I knew, every single coach and get a hold of, and every single coach that guys would give me contact information from. And I gave them a little template, you know, size of the school, average SAT scores, average ACT scores, tuition, um, you know, different majors, seriousness of the rugby. I mean, some programs aren't that serious and some programs are very serious. And just, you know, just kind of went through all that and tried to get – give it. I basically did it when I went to um, I went to an, on a high school all-star thing and I was talking to some of the parents at Xavier. They got like three or four kids and they got to go to college and like, you know, what do we do? So I just did it. And that's, that's where – that's kind of where I went with it. And so, yeah, we try to turn the people on to an appropriate college for their ability of playing. And their ability to pay, and and that's and that's what we do. So a lot of the Xavier kids will go to Penn State. A lot of the Xavier kids will go to Delaware. They're local schools, or you know, reasonably local schools. Um, some of them go to Stony Brook, and and but you know, I mean, Seamus Kelly and Patrick Coleman went to Cal. Mike Uzak went to uh, went to Utah, and we're trying to get them to branch out. Difficult to get a New York City kid to leave the area, but. We're trying to get them to branch out and go to places to understand that there is a, rug, a greater rugby community out there that they can flourish at, and they don't have to stay here and be in these different programs. That uh, we we encourage them and we work with them to have rugby be a major, major part of their decision making process in college. I think it should be because it, it's fun. They had a great if they had a great time in high school. Why wouldn't they want to pick something that helps them have a good time? 
Because, you know, you go to a college, you know, to be honest, you know, there are an awful lot of, co- you know, if you're, if you're a certain level, there are probably about 50 colleges you could go to that would give you a great experience in a lot of ways. But as long as, the, and then you have a specific major, maybe you cut those down to 20, but then let's talk about rugby as well. You want to, if you really wanted to play, you, do you want a real team? And I think that's important. I think that the only reason to go to college is to play rugby. <laughs> and I was I was a great student. You know, I mean, I was a, I was a great student. I never had anything other than first honors in my whole life. But it, at the end of the day, I understood that school was a game. It was a bad game and it was a useless game. And that education is something you do throughout your entire life. The biggest thing you get out, out, of, out of your education is your friendships and your experiences. To sit there and listen to some nonsensical liberal professor spew forth nonsense about communism to me in the 80s and the wall of Berlin went down in 1989. It was actually funny. I, I went back to school after I graduated in 89 in October or November that year. I went back to school and I said, so now what? <laughs> I knocked on everybody's door and I said, now what? Invested 20 years of your academic life on communism. Look at it. So you got to be now. Here we go. We got it in America. But that all being said, yes, if you're going to go to school, if you're going to go to college, go to college for rugby and for rugby exclusively. That's the way I feel about it. You can get an education better in Barnes and Noble or Borders or Amazon.com than you'll get at school. Well, you know, you know, rugby helps you uh, branch out and helps you broaden your your horizons. I I, I believe that firmly and. Broadening our horizons a little bit outside the borders of the United States, uh, the USA Sevens team is off to London, and they'll be playing in, in the the London Sevens this coming weekend, and then they go up to Edinburgh, and they play in the Scottish Sevens, and that finishes up their season. And they do, you know, if they want to make sure that they're in the top 12 and they get invited back as a core team, they they could stand to get a few more points. They're in the top 12 now, but it would help them if they, they did something like make the cup round. That would be a, a big boost for them. And, and I know that they'd like to, to catch uh, one or two of the teams that are above them. Uh, the, the squad really fast. The squad is Matt Hawkins, Mike Palafal, Paul Emmerich, Shalom Suniula, Miles Craigwell, Nessie Malifa, Cameron Dolan, Justin Boyd, Tyanosa, Colin Hawley, and Roland Suniula. Only one of those players, Cameron Dolan, has never played for the U.S. Sevens team before. And, and Zach Test. And Zach Test. And Zach Test. I miss Zach Test. I'm sorry. Uh, and Zach Test uh, uh, being on the squad. He has obviously played uh, before. Uh, how, do we, how do we think this team is going to go? Uh, Pat, you start. Just give me a prediction. Uh, but I will tell you, in case you don't see it, in their pool that they have in uh, London, they play England and France and Argentina in their pool. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Say they're going to beat everybody but England. Uh, I like this team a lot, and I think that they got a, a real shot to to get second and get into that cup round. Bruce, I I don't feel the same way. I un, I unfortunately don't think this is the team that he would have wanted to take and, 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 and maybe they'll rally around it. But, um, I think no clever. I, I, I think that 
you know, Cam Dolan, while he he's a great player, hasn't hasn't played a lot of sevens. I think that there could be some def- there's a, there's some people there that could possibly give some defensive holes. I think Palafau is going to help them, but I, I don't I don't uh, I don't think they're going to do well there. Well, I think that uh, I, I'm leaning more towards the way Pat feels. Uh, in London, they've got a, a winnable pool. A winnable pool. They can beat England. Uh, England is certainly heavily favored, but they can beat England. They certainly should be able to f- beat France and Argentina with this team. I don't think it's a big, terrible thing to ha- not have Todd Clever there because uh, Clever. Uh, while a great player, I mean, it's, it's like he's such a high-profile guy. What do you do with him? It's it's almost like you have to start him. When really, I don't know if I'd really want to start him. I think I think that he's an impact guy, and I think you can put. You, we're better off now with uh, Dolan coming in and he, as a. Uh, you know, he's going to be an impact type of sub. You can bring him in for a minute, a minute and a half. That's all we're going to be using him for. I'm. I'm excited to see Palafau play, but what I'm more excited to see is that Matt Hawkins has gotten all the way through the season. Uh, Suniola, Roland Suniola, uh, they've gone all the way through the season. Colin Hawley and Zach Test are playing great, and I'd, I'd really like to see Nessie Malifa get through this injury-free and play well. I think they can do that, because, and I really hope they do, because when they go to Scotland, they've got uh, some problems in that the pool they're in has Samoa, Fiji, and Scotland. And they're going to have a tough time. So if they need to make it, if they're going to do something and make the the cup round, make the top eight, I think they got to do it in London. How, how quickly will Al trust Mike Palafau and Nessie Malifa? Because I think in the past, especially last year when Emmerich was coming back from 15s to play sevens, he had some trust issues with their fitness. How fit are Mike Palafau and Nessie Malifa? And how quickly will he trust them to put them into the fold? Because both of those guys probably deserve to be in the starting lineup. Um, uh, maybe not all three games, but certainly a huge factor in that leg of the tour. And uh, if you trust them quickly enough and they play well, uh, well enough to, to to have earned that trust, I think that they've got a real chance to be pretty darn good. Palafau scored second highest in the fitness sto- scores in Eden Camp. So Palafau has proved that he's the second fastest player on the, on the team uh, and he's the second fittest player on the team. So I think he's he's happier to start Palafau, put him on the wing or put him in at center, then he might be with Malifa simply because Malifa is uh, just coming back from a bad knee injury. And I think that he feels equally comfortable uh, or pretty comfortable putting Suniula and uh, Inosa in the halfbacks. He can flip them around. So I don't know. I, I, I think this week will certainly be a time where Caravelli will be uh, testing to see if uh, Nessie Malifa is fit enough to start and play Play a full, a full fourteen minutes. I think that's going to be a tough one. Well, I think can Shalom stay healthy. He makes he's been kind of the guy that's made the engine go as far as when they needed somebody to make a line break. He's done really well. If Shalom can stay healthy, and the same thing with Roland, but to a lesser degree. But if those guys can actually play the entire tournament, that's going to be big. I like I said. I, I have. I have real questions with the bench, and I have real questions with the defense. And I, I mean, to me, you play Nessie Malifa over Tyanosa every day of the week mm-hmm. because Nessie is a good attacker. He doesn't have, he doesn't, you know, quite as fluid as uh, as Ty with a with a sidestep. But Nessie tackles, and 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 Ty doesn't make his tackles. He, he certainly doesn't make his one on ones. And 
it, you know, it's it, it's my opinion, and and hopefully I'm wrong. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to be right. I'm not sitting there saying I want to be right because I don't. I just don't see them. I don't see them coming into the. I don't see them going into the cup round in any of the tournament if this is going to be the team they have. I just don't think it's good enough. All right. Well, you don't want to be right. Let's put that down. We'll we'll make that the headline for the show. Bruce McLean. I don't want to be right. How's it sound? If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Well, you're not. Then we could go back to uh, revisit a couple of conversations we had earlier this season about some teams. But we won't because I'm a nice guy. Uh, you know, I, th- I yeah, think that Bruce has been wrong quite a bit all season. You know, so that's good. Yeah. Goff has been wrong pretty pretty regularly, especially when you look at some of these rankings. Pat's a suitsayer. Yes, that's true. Pat's got it. Uh, Pat's doing a lot better job. Um, I think that wraps it up. I think we will be back next week for sure with a talk about the final in the Super League and the final in the College Premier Division. Stay tuned to RugbyMag.com and have a look to see who will be on will be on the show what we'll be talking about next week on the show we'll give you a little bit of teaser and we really appreciate you listening thanks a lot to pat clifton and thanks a lot to bruce mcclain and this is alex goff with rugbymag.com saying thanks for listening 